got uh, got too many props. I'm going to start setting up ahead of time, setting up better. Uh, if you missed yesterday, like I don't want to keep harping on it, but like yesterday was really good. Uh, just getting away with the church family of Woodmont, being together. Uh, and if you haven't, and Laura, I know that you're like this. We had hymnals yesterday, Laura. We sung out of hymnals yesterday. If you haven't held a hymnal in a long time, it was, it was good. It was just good to sing some old songs. I love what we do here. I love our worship. But every now and again, it's good to kind of fall back into some of that old, old past. So it was really, it was a neat experience. A good time had by all. A little warm, but it was a good time had by all. So last week, if you remember, I had a big rope up here. A rope that was 80 feet long. And... Uh, Isaac, come on up here. After I got done with my exam, I, I cut it down to 10 feet today. I didn't want to have 80 feet. Go over and stand over there. Keep going. Keep going. There we go. All right, stop. <laughs> After I got done with my example, and, and you know, my example last week was, okay, so we can become so focused out there we can become so focused here, right? Let me make sure you get my example right, because I'm going to use a different example this week. We become so focused right here, that we can't see what God is doing out there or what that God did behind us or anything else because we come so focused on this moment and this time right here that we can't look up and we don't look up and we don't see anything else and we can't see what else is going on. And, and so we miss what God is doing. And so then Isaac, had, Isaac and I were talking about that the next day or so, and he had, he had this, this really good, good idea, good example. What was your... What would you, what was your uh, assessment of my example, if you will. So, um, what I said was, what if we were focused on that one moment, or we were focused on what's ahead so much to the point to where we can't see what's right here in front of us? So, so Isaac's idea was that, okay, so in, instead of us being so focused here, if we become so focused out there and looking and seeing God out there, that we miss what God is doing here in midst of us, here, here in this moment, in this time right now, which, which is a pretty, pretty good idea, right? And so if we think about it, if we're constantly looking always out there, we refuse, are we looking back that direction, we refuse to see what God is doing we miss God in this moment, right? We miss God today, right here. You see, I have been in junior high where Isaac is at now. I've been in middle school. I've, I've had that experience in middle school. I've been through college. I'm, I'm married. I've been married 23 years. I've had all these experiences. If I sit now and I look around at those people that are about to go through that, and if I say, look, you just need to look up. You need to look into the future. You don't need to be so focused now. I can inhibit not only myself, but I can inhibit, inhibit you from seeing what God is doing in this moment, in this time. Is that a fair assessment, assessment, Isaac? Yeah, is that fair? Okay, go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. Take that back to Campbell. So to become so future-focused or, or past-focused that we miss what's going on in the here and now, it's uh, one of those, another one of those... Um, religious phrases that we've cast around to become so heavenly focused that we're no earthly good. Are you familiar with that and you heard that one before? Like that's one of those ones that we kick around where, where we become so focused on the end time and what's going to happen at the end that we, that we miss what's happening right now. So what do we miss when we don't look around for God today? 
What do we miss when we don't see what God is doing today? You see, our mind becomes locked into either, it gets locked into the past, right? We get locked into something that happened in the past, and our whole worldview is built out of what happened in the past, and we can't see forward to the future. Or we're looking forward to the end of time, and we can't even focus on what's happening today because we're not focused on what's happening today. And here's just uh, here's an example, right? Evangelism in the Church of Christ, and, and Church of Christ is, is my heritage, and is the heritage of this church here. Evangelism in the Church of Christ has been very specific. You go back to the 70s, evangelism took a very heavy push between the 50s and the 70s in the Church of Christ, and became very much so about going into all the world. And so today, if you go into various mission points spread throughout the globe that were planted by Church of Christ from that time point, you would most likely walk back in time. You would walk into a church that is built around a worship service from the 1970s, ideas from the 1970s, things that happened in the 1970s. And the unfortunate reality is we've given those churches, those churches have been given a blueprint for worship and not a, a call to discipleship. And there's a big difference. There's a really big difference. I used to, in, in a former time in my life, I was a youth minister. I did youth ministry for about, uh, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years. And I used to take my, my youth group to, uh, uh, to the Navajo Reservation out in Tuba City, Arizona. And we had a guy out there that we worked with. And, and one of the first visits out there, we were sitting around talking. He said, you know, my responsibility, or my, not responsibility, he said, my task is not to teach them how to do anything, but is to introduce them to God. Introduce them to the God of the New Testament, the God of the Bible, Jesus, the one that we know, and then we allow them to take that into their lives and allow them to figure out how that works out in their existence. You see, I've lived through middle school, but that's my experience. I've lived through college, but that's my experience. And I have to be careful not to take my static experience, which is over, and, and lay it over on what Isaac's going through in his middle school experience and, and that dynamic experience that he's going through, right? And, and shackle him or burden him unnecessarily with what I have experienced in my own time. Today we jump over into Matthew chapter 9. And I, if I was going to give a title of this lesson, it would be Living the President in the Past Tense. As Matthew 9 opens, Jesus getting out of a boat after he's been run out of the garrisons by a crowd of people who, after Jesus did some spectacular stuff, they were scared. And they said, you got to go. you got to go. You can't hang out here anymore. And as happened with Jesus, his reputation is preceding him. So as soon as he steps out of the boat, as, as Matthew writes for us here, as soon as he steps out of the boat, there's a whole group of people there waiting for him. There's a group of people there that, that have sick people who need it healed, and there's a crowd of people that are gathering around him. And it's not just sick people there, but it's also people that are just kind of trying to figure out who Jesus is. And there's also mixed in with the crowd, and perhaps most of the crowd are people who don't like Jesus. Those that are opposed to him. And so as Jesus is often, as Jesus does, he doesn't miss an opportunity to do something really good. And so a paralyzed man is brought to him. And as they lay the paralyzed man at his feet... I don't know what Jesus was thinking. I mean, we're told what he was thinking, right? But in that moment, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Get up and go home. 
And it's almost one of those moments, if you're really following the text and you see what's going on, it's almost one of those moments where you can feel what's happening in that moment as Jesus pushes the words out, your sins are forgiven. And you feel people looking at each other going, did he really say that? And you really get the sense from those gathered around him what their real intent is because they, they don't hesitate and they say, this man is insulting God. If you're reading from the NIV or the King James or, or a different text, you'll find that it says this, they say this man is blaspheming God. And that's a term that's kind of lost on us as an older term. And I really like what the contemporary English Bible did here when they said they, they used the term insulting because that's really what blasphemy is. It's insulting God. And the, the translator here really hits it on the head. Now, what was it about Jesus forgiving, saying he could forgive this guy's sin that was so insulting, not only to these Pharisees and Sadducees and those gathered around? What was it about that that was so bad that they were like, this man is insulting God? You see, because what Jesus did in that moment was he raised him up, himself up to the level of God. In that moment, he made sure that they understood that they knew who he was. Or at least who he was claiming to be. You see, those, those people gathered around Jesus, they had a pretty specific view of who God was. They had a view of God and they had an experience of God that was shackled where? Way in the past. They had a view of God that was anchored in a time that began at Mount Sinai when the Ten Commandments came down to them and lasted through Israel's history as they were traveling through the wilderness and as they came to be in their land and as eventually they went out to exile and this remnant, which they consider themselves the only one left to be the right ones. And their view of God did not allow for them to accept Jesus as a Messiah or as the Messiah. Their view of God was very specific. Their understanding of God was very specific. The way they thought God would look was very precise, and it was very narrow, and He had to fit within their bounds in order for them to accept Him. It didn't allow for a man to come out of Nazareth and claim that He was God. It didn't allow for for this Jesus to claim this level of divinity that was so immense. But their perspective, which was anchored in the past, was holding them back and had them convinced that they were, that they were right. And so Jesus senses what they think and what they, they think they know, right? And He says something that Ought to astound. I don't know what happened there, Campbell. I pushed the other button. Go to the next slide. He says, Your minds are full of evil. Now, that had to be such a shock for them to hear because they were the ones who thought they were standing on the right side of history. They thought they were standing in the right place. They thought that they had the right to proclaim that this guy was insulting God, that this guy was blaspheming God. But he's like, why do you entertain such evil thoughts in your mind? It's like, wait, hold on, Jesus. These are the gatekeepers, right? These are the ones 
who told everybody what to think and what to believe about God. These are the ones who had the knowledge. These are the ones who had the ideas. These are the ones who were the answer people and the examples for the rest of the world. Yet their perception of God and who God could be and what God could be was so rigid that it did not allow for this Messiah. And not only did it not allow for this Messiah, but it, as Jesus said, it allowed them to fill their minds with evil thoughts. And what evil? What they were proclaiming that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. And if the analogy is helpful, right? They had a box that God could fit into. And, and more than that, perhaps the thing that was really comfortable for them, they had a box that they could put a lid on and keep God in, right? And they had a very specific set of rules and boundaries by which God operated. It was neat, it was clean, everybody understood it, there was no ambiguity, it was just what it was, and it had always been that way. You ever heard that before in church? It was what it was, and it is what it is, and it'll never change. So they could put God in the box, and they could carry Him around with them, right? And when they needed to, they could take God out of His box and beat somebody over the head, and they could put Him back and put the lid back on and walk around, right? Neat, clean, easy to understand, easy to teach. But the problem is it leaves no... It doesn't let God be God. It doesn't let God be alive. It leaves no room for you and I to grow personally, spiritually in our walk with God. It leaves no room for God to be God. You see, the person and the, the, the being that Jesus was didn't fit into their box. It didn't fit into their understanding. It didn't fit into their reality. And they couldn't handle it. He was inconvenient. He was troublesome. That was probably the worst part. He caused trouble. But more than that, He was requiring them to think and process new things. He was requiring them to think and process new understandings about who God was. At the end of the passage, Jesus, in the end of the passage I'm, I'm talking about here in 9, Jesus talks about new clothing and, and old clothing. He talks about new wineskins and or old wineskins and new wine. And in both understandings in both examples Jesus talks about how pro both processes sewing new cloth onto old cloth or new putting new wine into old wineskins will destroy the package that you're putting them in and here's the reality not just for us not just for them God isn't interested in the box that you're trying to keep him in I'm sorry God is not interested in the box that you're trying to keep Him in. He's not interested in the box that for sure that they were trying to keep Him in. You see, you take, you take a piece of old cloth and you put a new piece of cloth on it to try and mend it. As soon as that starts shrinking, the, the word, it gets worse and worse. It just tears apart. 
You take that new wine and you pour it, you pour it into old wineskins that have been stretched to their extreme and they burst open. You see, God is wider. God is narrower than what we want Him to be. God is bigger than our understanding and for whatever, and bigger than any box that we could have ever, than we can ever create for Him. God is not yours. God is not mine. God is not theirs to be packaged in such a way that it's convenient for us. God's not interested in that. And you see, in their context, Jesus the healer was much smaller than the Messiah they wanted because the Messiah they wanted was going to be a warrior. He was going to come in with a big old bat and he was going to beat everybody out and he was going to put them back on the throne, put them back in the right place. There was no place for this Jesus who was a meek healer who loved everybody. Jesus, the leader, was bigger than they wanted him to be. Because he was the one who would call traitors to them, the tax collectors, who we also talk about in this passage, where he called Matthew to be one of his inner twelve. He called those who were, tra- they were being traitors to the nation, to the to the Romans, to be part of his inner circle. And not only be part of his inner circle, but he would go and sit with them regularly and eat with them regularly and break bread with them regularly. And Jesus, the rabbi, was not the rabbi that they thought he ought to be. Because if you read in the same passage, just right above there, where he talks about the old cloth, new cloth, wineskins and all that, the question comes, why don't your disciples fast? That was part of their understanding of what made them holy, right? Was fasting at the right times and doing the right things in the right ways and being the right person at the right time. You see, Jesus didn't didn't fit. And our biggest problem is that we think we have Jesus figured out just like they thought they had God figured out. And oftentimes we find ourselves chasing the same issues, not just in churches, but in our own life, in our own country, in our own world, because we're so rigid about things. God wants to do amazing things in your story. God wants to do amazing things in your life. And your inability and my inability to be flexible and to, and this sounds funny to even say it loud, out loud, to let God be God, our inability to let God be God drastically inhibits His ability to work in our lives. Being over-focused on the end of time or being over-focused on a moment in time will rob now of the power that God is trying to give it. Do you ever wonder what you're missing out on? Do you ever wonder what you're missing out on because you don't let God be God in your life? And maybe you don't ever think about it. Maybe that's a, a symptom of something else. That we're not really even inviting God to be active in our lives. We miss out on so much because we refuse to acknowledge that God might actually be alive and living at work in our world, in our country, in our communities, in our schools, in our homes, in our marriages, 
in our families. How amazing would it have been if we turn back to chapter 8 at the end after Jesus freed that village of those really, really horrible demons. And instead of saying, you got to go, they said, hey, why don't you come stay with us? Can you imagine how much better it would have been for that village had they welcomed Jesus in instead of running Him off? How much better would it have been for those religious leaders if they would have just accepted and welcomed Jesus in to be part of what was going on? Don't get after me. I know the story. I know why things happened the way they did. But how amazing would it have been for them, for even a few people that we read in the Bible that have really bad outcomes because they refuse to let God be God. The, the young people... The student ministry here is reading through the book of Acts, and Isaac and I are reading through Acts on in the morning time as we go to, to school, and, and we kind of talk about stuff. And we talked about last week about Judas and how his, his story ended and how nasty just the end of the story was. How much, how much better could, even after Judas messed up, don't you think that God was waiting for him to turn and come back? And don't you know that God would have invited him back? that Jesus would have welcomed him back. I don't want to sit down when I'm 70 years old, and that'll be here before I know it, I know. I don't want to sit down when I'm 70 years old and look back at my life with regrets. Because I didn't let God be God. Because I didn't invite Him into my story like I needed to invite him into my story. And so at the end of the day, here's what needs to happen. We've got to stop trying to limit God. God doesn't want to be car- God doesn't need you to carry him around. God doesn't need you to create some way in your life for you to make Him sound palatable for the world. God doesn't need you to defend Him. God needs you to let Him work. God needs you to get out of the way. The box can no longer be our identity. The box can no longer be our reality. Because God cannot be contained by your and my finite understanding. God will not be contained by your and my finite understanding. God won't abandon us, but God will use God will work through people who will let Him work. Like that's the bottom line. Like the bottom line is, if you won't let Him do it, God will work through people who will let Him do it. He's just waiting. So what now? Which side of the story do you want to come down on? Do you want to come down on the side of the story of the people who are saying, this guy is insulting God? Or do you want to come down on the side of the story who, who, of the people who had so much faith in God that they were bringing anybody that they knew that needed healing to God, bringing him to Jesus so they could be healed? Do you want to be part of the, I don't know, group, Or do you want to be part of the, yeah, let's go group? 
There have been, there are, and there always will be varying expressions of faith across time. Jesus in Matthew 17 tells his followers, says, if you just have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And let me tell you, that's not about you. That's not about me. That's about getting out of the way and letting God work. And so the rope example reminds us that it has to be a both and, not an either or. My faith is rooted in my past. The people who taught me, the people who raised me, the people who brought me to church, the people who showed me God. And my future is rooted in the second coming of Jesus. But I have to live now, in this moment, and let God work. I have to live now. It's not an either or. I can't, it's not, I'm either rooted there, rooted there, or rooted here. It's I'm rooted in all places. And so that means that we hold this tension that God always has been, always will be, but is alive and at work today. And that we live with a God that is active, a God that is living, and a God that is moving today. The moment right now is not about having that mustard seed faith that will cause us to move mountains. The moment right now is about deciding what the next right thing to do is. Because God's not calling us to be faithful in great things, God is calling us to be grateful in the little things. Bob Goff, in, in his, he has a podcast I listen to. At the end of every podcast, he says, the next five minutes are the most important five minutes. What will you and I decide to do differently? What will you and I decide to do to let God work through us instead of for us. This moment is about choosing the next faith-filled step. And so I hope as we gather around the table this morning that we'll encourage each other to be faithful. That we'll encourage each other to see beyond the fear that is holding you and I back from doing what God is putting in front of us to do. And I don't know what that is in your life. You do. You may be trying to ignore it pretty hard right now. Let's encourage one another to see beyond the hang-ups that keep us from doing what God's calling us to do. Let's encourage each other to look beyond the humanity that is us to the amazing things that God might be up to today. Because that's what God calls us to. And how amazing is our God that we get to come every week and we get to gather around a table with people we know and we love and, and we want to spend time with and we get to encourage each other and we get to sometimes say, hey, I know this week wasn't great, but let's go do it again. Let's go do it again. Let's pray. God, 
Help us get out of your way. Help us live lives that are so in tune with what you're doing that we just let you be you. Help us not to be those who stand back and question and doubt and try and draw others away. Let us be those that are seeking you out and begging you to use us, to mold us, to make us, to move us, to take us where you want us to go. God, we love you. We love what you're doing in this world. We love what you're doing in this, in your story, not our story, in your story. And help us have the desire to join you and work with you. Forgive us when we fail you. God, we all have faith. If we didn't have faith, we wouldn't be here this morning. But God, help our little bit of faith be enough. Help us follow where you're leading. May we honor you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's go to the table. Come.